0: Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Welcome back, boys and girls. Another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. We are Super Bowl Monday, the day following the game. I'm in Philly. Mike Sealski, Philadelphia Inquirer, he's in Philly, got up at crack of dawn. He's back. The team's back. They won the championship, the most unlikely of teams, based on what's happened. I thought Mike and I would riff about this team, about the Eagles winning the championship over the famed Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, New England Patriots. What an incredible season. Mike, I'm just going to open it up with you. What's your first thought when you think of what just happened? First thing comes into your head. Uh,
1: first thing that comes into my head is Doug Peterson has avocados in his pants um, and had them had them all year. Um, You know, it's funny. At the the start of the week, just before I left for Minneapolis, I wrote a column saying that the reason the Eagles could win this game was because of the way Doug had coached and they had played all season, which was pedal to the metal, defy the conventional wisdom of – Conventional football, um, you know, go forward on fourth and short like you've been doing all year. Right. Um, be aggressive, all that kind of stuff, and they did that from beginning to end. I mean, I don't think you could find a more uh, a gutsier play call than fourth and goal from the one and having a, you know, a, a, a undrafted running back toss the ball to an undrafted tight end who throws a touchdown pass to a backup quarterback. (laughs) Um, So that's what I'll think of. I'll think of Doug Peterson and just how this team kind of took usual football and turned it on its head.
0: Yeah, and you know, watching that game, I knew everyone was going to bring up Atlanta, and they were going to bring up uh, last year's Super Bowl with Atlanta, and then bring up Jacksonville two weeks ago. But I'm like you. I thought, well, those those teams weren't coached by Doug Peterson. I mean, this team is not going to shrivel. They just keep going after it and after it with backups, with the backup quarterback, with fourth and one. And I thought the biggest fourth down, obviously, was the end of the game, fourth and one from yeah. their own 43. They, they don't make that play. They don't win the game. So yeah. and, it's and what, just all yeah, throughout, right. throughout that, that play, the play you talked about, which will go down in history. Just an amazing coaching experience.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, you, you talk an awful lot when you write when you know, when you go on the radio or T V or you write. You, you know, you understand the culture of an organization. Yeah. And and that's that's the important thing that I think Doug and the Eagles established heading into that game was that rolling the dice and being aggressive was part of their culture. It was what they were used to. I mean the Patriots are famous for among the many things that they're famous for and, and are great you know, in, is putting their opponents in uncomfortable situations, forcing you to play the way the Eagles played all year. So when the Eagles were in those situations in the Super Bowl, it wasn't uncomfortable because they had been in those situations and played that way all season. And I think that gave them an edge in this game.
0: Yeah, and I've talked about Doug. I mean, knowing Doug from Green Bay, I've written about Doug. He, uh, I certainly couldn't say that he was going to be the most aggressive coach in recent history, but I did see kind of a coach on the field, a calming influence for Brett Favre, a a best friend, a counselor, the guy that we called uh, when we couldn't find Brett. And of course his dad had died and we found Doug and he just, and he has that paternally happy outlook, which I think is part of it. I mean, I just think these players, they, they say, wow, this guy is, this guy protects us. This guy is behind us. This guy has our back. I just think that means
1: something. I agree with you. For all those reasons he decided, and then to bring it back to what we were just discussing, I think that personality complements his approach perfectly. It would be one thing if he were aggressive and going all out, and he were you know, a hard, for lack of a better way of putting it, a hard-ass perfectionist yeah. who was all over his players and then putting them in these situations where if they messed up or didn't execute, he was letting them have it. But he doesn't. He, he, like I just said, he's a player's coach. Um, I think, you know, Howie Roseman and, and the front office did a terrific job of bringing in, um, you know, quality people as players over, you know, both this past off season and years before that. I think that helped a lot, you know, in terms of being guys like Malcolm Jenkins and Chris Long and, you know, just being tone setters in that regard. And I think it all just kind of works, so that, you know, when you're in situations like they were in multiple times on Sunday night, hey, it's not that big a deal. We can handle this. This is who we are and what we do.
0: Mike, give our listeners what it's like to be at a covering a Super Bowl. I mean, I think from the outside, it looks like a lot of fun. It's kind of some drudgery work when you're there, I'm sure, and trying to find new stories that haven't been written before, a week with no games going on, and hardly any practices that you can at least observe, and then you got to fill all this paper. I mean, listen, Philadelphia, God, I mean, yeah. they're so into it. they were relying on you for this. Tell us about the week in Minneapolis.
1: Well, you know, we sent 24 people between the Inquirer Daily News and Philly.com to wow. Minneapolis, so... You know, we were flooding the zone, and so we were going to have every conceivable angle um, covered. And, and this is just my personal preference. Um, on, I'll say two things. Number one, in the availabilities that you get with these players, um, they seem to be much more forthcoming. And I found this in previous Super Bowls, too, uh, because they recognize the stage. And if, if you're familiar to them as a media member, if you're somebody who's covered them all season, they recognize that. And they're more open with you that, hey, you came all the way out of here. You've been there since the beginning, that kind of thing. Um, the other thing that I like to do is I like to try to find stories, you know, kind of off the beaten path. Um, because you have so much media there, and you only have so many opportunities to get quotes or ask questions of people like Belichick and Brady and Doug and yep. Nick Foles that you want to try to find something different. So on Tuesday, the Tuesday before the game, I drove out to Fargo. Um, to talk to people about what it's been like there and what what their reaction has been to the Eagles' run to the Super Bowl without Carson Wentz, because if, obviously if you had asked anybody two months ago, hey, you know, do you think the Eagles will be in the Super Bowl? And if so, who do you think their quarterback will be? Yeah. you know, nine out of a hundred people would say Carson Wentz. Um, you know, I tracked down the guy, the offensive lineman that the Eagles drafted with the 192nd pick in the 2000 draft, seven selections before Tom Brady. And it turned out he's a cop in Oakland who's you know, been, been, been a police officer right. there for 10 years and is working in drug enforcement. So I like to do those kind of things because you know, it, it's something that hasn't been done before. And, and you have to try to do that to maintain your sanity unless somebody you know, says something outra- outrageous or outlandish, and, and that just didn't happen this year.
0: When you went to Fargo, what do you do? I mean, uh, you walk into a bar and say, tell me about Carson Wentz. I mean, how, how did you uh, arrange that?
1: Well, I, I had a, uh, I was fr- I'm friendly with the sports writer for the Forum, which is the Fargo really? newspaper. So I called him and said, hey, you know, I'd like to come out on Tuesday before the Super Bowl. Can I meet with you? You know, who else can I talk to? And he passed along several phone numbers, including a guy who's the general manager uh, of a bar near the – campus of north dakota state so i was able to meet the sports writer and the general manager at the bar and because north dakota is such a small state i got the governor on the phone i, I just called the the governor's pr you know press flag pr yeah. guy and said hey i want to talk to him about carson Wentz. and he said no problem he'll give you a call back tomorrow and he gave me 10 minutes um you know it's not like getting tom wolf or chris christie or something like right. that it's um you know Carson Wentz is a major figure in North Dakota, yeah. um, so I laid the groundwork before I went out there. And then uh, a photographer accompanied me, and um, you know we went to the bar. We visited one of Carson's old professors, who he's still close with in North Dakota, uh, who turned out to be a big Patriots and Tom Brady fan. So that made you know made things interesting. And uh, and then we went to a local sporting goods store. Um, that is a sponsor of Carson. It was one of the first endorsement deals that Carson signed um, ahead of the the 2016 draft. So we were able to go there, talk to some people there, get a sense of how popular he is with the jerseys on the rack and all that kind of stuff. Was there there a sense of sadness
0: that he wasn't playing?
1: Yes, there was. And there's very much a sense of um, kind of uh, conflict and ambivalence because... um, North Dakota is Vikings territory. And so, there, you know, all those people up there are Minnesota Vikings fans. And they felt a little bad about how those fans who had come down the length for the NFC Championship game had, you know, reportedly been treated by Eagles fans. So they kind of, there was definitely the sense of like, hey, we, we gave you guys one of us. We gave you Carson Wentz. Mm. Why aren't you being nicer to us? Um, you know, and there was the sense of we wanted to see, we enjoyed seeing Carson do well. But that doesn't necessarily make us Eagles fans. It just makes us Carson Wentz
0: fans. Yeah, that's interesting. And and you know, having lived the Midwest fan experience, it's different than the East Coast fan experience. Yeah. And I wouldn't single out Philadelphia either. I just think it's right. there's an edge to East Coast, especially Northeast fans, and there's not an edge, generally, stereotypically, to Green Bay, Minnesota, and even Chicago fans. It's just a different experience, so I can see how they felt that. That's an interesting take on things about Carson Wentz and North Dakota and how they feel about this. And you brought up Minnesota and Minnesota fans. When you were out there this week, I mean, obviously, (laughs) the story was the weather. (laughs) People couldn't get outside, but you've covered a lot of Super Bowls. Anything stand out to you besides the weather about – Covering this one, obviously, you're covering the home team, so it's a little different. But mm-hmm. what stood out in the experience there?
1: Well, two things. Number one, the the massive Eagles fans who came out there later in the week mm. um, was really something to see. Um, you know, I, I, maybe I'm perceiving this differently because I grew up, you know, in the Philadelphia area, but it seemed to me there were far more. Eagles fans out there, than Patriots fans, that they, and that they were far more into the experience than yeah. Patriots fans were, whether it was a function of, you know, the Eagles haven't won an NFL championship in 57 years, and the Patriots have won all these Super Bowls lately. Um, you know, I, I, that I don't know. Um, the other part of it was that the the real headquarters of the, um, of the week for the media and the teams was from all of America. And yeah. so, you know, often in these Super Bowls, and you know this, if you go to the Super Bowls in New Orleans or Indianapolis, you know, everything is centered in the downtown so that you can experience the city. Um, if, you're, if you're a fan, you can experience the downtown city um, and all that. That didn't happen here. The Mall of America is in Bloomington by the airport, mm. and that's where the team stayed and that's where the media stayed, and that was 20 minutes to a half hour from downtown Minneapolis. So you kind of had this feeling of being kind of just out there, it was almost like being in King of Prussia, in a way, right. um, you know, and, and claiming that the Super Bowl was in Philadelphia. It was just a little bit different in that regard. Uh, but I would say that the thing that stood out most was, that, you know, later in the week, the sheer number of Eagles fans and the and the enthusiasm and passion that they brought once they got there.
0: Yeah, it was certainly true watching the game and everyone reporting on the game, seeing it vastly, vastly outnumbering Patriots yeah. fans, Eagles fans, and I don't know if you could tell in necessarily the TV experience. But there were times that you felt like, wow, it sounds a little bit like a home game.
1: Yeah, it felt that way within the stadium as well. Um, You know, and again, maybe I'm perceiving that, but there just seemed to be more hope and desperation and, and, you know, energy and enthusiasm when, you know, Foles found Corey Clement for that touchdown pass or Burtz for the go-ahead score. It just seemed like it mattered more to to the Eagles fans there um, and that there were more of them there.
0: Did you see this year coming at all? I mean, go no. back August, September, even into October. I mean, did you see this coming?
1: No, I did not. Um and I was high on Wentz. Um yeah. I liked him, you know, in the draft. And but my reservation was that given what they had done to get him um to move up right. and to not you know, to kind of not maximize the number of draft picks they would have over time, you know, I kind of looked at it and said, Boy, he's gonna to have to be I think he's good, but he's going to have to be really, really, really good for them to justify this. And it turned out he was. <laughs> right. And, you know, um, and that they made all these other supplementary moves that that were so smart, you know, that it turned out to be so smart, whether it's Alshon Jeffrey or Timmy Jernigan and Jay Jai, And, you know, I mean, you know this as well as anybody. I think what, what Howie has done yeah. is a template for what, other teams are going to do, which is that the salary cap is just growing so much, and these teams have so much money to spend, that you can afford to take a relative chance on a guy who is a year or two into his contract, um, and and hope that a guy like a Ronald Darby or a Timmy Jernigan works out better for you than, than he did for some other team, and you give up a draft pick or two for the slightly surer bet, and you take on the increase in salary, and voila here you are and uh i did not see this coming at all um i have to say and uh, either from the the talent standpoint on the team or from doug peterson i mean i was skeptical of doug too um you know he was their third or fourth choice obviously um but you know all all the props in the world to howie and joe douglas and jeffrey Lurie and doug and carson and nick and everybody
0: yeah i mean this team of destiny thing i think is overplayed but Everything you mentioned it with Howie, and I've told him this. I told him this uh, early this morning. Everything turned to gold, which is yeah, remaking the running back position. And with with Sproles getting hurt, so you have a Jai, Blunt and Clement, one by trade, one a free agent nobody wanted, and one an undrafted free agent, and yep. and they're big timing the Patriots last night. I'm looking at that like, oh my God. Then you got Jeffrey. Then you got Torrey Smith. Then you got Patrick Robinson. Then you got Chris Long. Then you got Darby. Then you got Jernigan. None of these guys here last year. And, I mean, you can say all you want about remaking a team, but how many teams go through that kind of turnover and have any kind of success, let alone the ultimate success? Forget, Forget if they're good or bad players. Just... That kind of turnover is just astounding to me.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder if it speaks to the nature of um, roster configuration in the league. Now you see, yeah. you know, fewer and fewer players who are veteran guys in the league. You know, because they cost more money, and teams, you know, want to get young because young is cheap, and you know the relative, you know, quote unquote, career expectancy. I guess you'd say of, a, of an NFL player is. What, only two and a half years? Um, you know, so to bring in these veterans, maybe the Eagles were better equipped to have things gel more quickly um, than a team that's trying to build it from scratch over time. Yeah. Um, and, and the other I, thing I, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no I, the only other thing I was going to add is, you know, I, I know you know Howie and know him well. I just, I hope he, you know, appreciates this and enjoys this. Yeah. Um, you know, I know he's had a chip on his shoulder for a while, and I hope he you know, recognizes that people are, you know, there are a lot of people who are happy this happened and that he should enjoy this because he pulled this off. And, you know, without getting into too much detail, you know, wandering around the Eagles locker room last night, I just wonder if he got that and understood that.
0: Yeah. And he says he'll come on this podcast later in the week. We'll see. But (laughs) if he does, I will convey that to him as a friend and as others like you want him to do that. I really think it's important as well.
1: Yeah. Because I've talked about. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I just I wonder if there's a chip on his shoulder about this and and that, you know, he feels like, you know, there were people, whether they were out to get him or as you've talked about before, like the the perception that he's a numbers cruncher as opposed to somebody who can really evaluate football talent, Um, you know. He, he's at the top of the summit here, and he should you know he should appreciate that and relish it and be gracious about it and i just i hope he you know i hope he is
0: I think he will be i mean I think he'll defer to Doug and he'll defer to everyone, which is good, but I think behind all that, I like you hope that he just sits back with his wife and kids and say, "Look what we did." And then get yeah. back at it, like all the great ones do. You know, get back exactly. at it. And, and he's got work to do. Speaking of which, uh, we haven't even mentioned his biggest move this year, as it turned out, was upgrading from Chase Daniel to Nick Foles. And uh, there's dead money on Chase Daniel's contract. They overpaid him. Some would say they overpaid Foles at least a month ago. They would have said that with a $15 million deal over two years. Um, but Wow. Boy, did that pay off! Which leads, it sure did. I mean, think about that. Like of all of all these moves, they dumped the guy that Peterson really wanted last year as a backup, and bring in another one of his his understudies or his his pupils in in Foles.
1: Yeah, and not only that, you watch the way Foles played in those final two regular season games. Oh yeah, and you think to yourself, you know what? What if you know? Why would you realistically think that that team with him playing like that would beat the Atlanta Falcons or beat the Minnesota Vikings or even getting that far, you know, beat the New England Patriots? And, you know, it, it, it's amazing how this all worked out. I mean, I was skeptical of Foles, too. I, I mean, I, to see him play compared to Chase Daniel, I mean, there really is no comparison even yeah. before he went on this hot streak in the playoffs. I mean, Daniel is, you know. I mean, I give him all the credit in the world for earning all the money he's earned in his NFL career, Um, you know, given his abilities. But, you know, Foles can play in this league, and, you know, that was really a stroke of of genius to think that, you know, hey, we've got a young quarterback who can be reckless at times. It's the thing that makes him potentially great, but, you know, he, he takes hits when he shouldn't take hits, and he may get hurt. And we're going to need to spend at this position if we're going to be in a in a position to win games without Carson Wentz. And you know they went out and found a guy who, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, you might know Nick Foles better than I do. I'm not sure he wants to go, um, you know, be a starter somewhere else anymore. I mean, that this is maybe this is the perfect situation for him to uh, you know to be Carson Wentz's backup and thrive in Philadelphia and never have to pay for another drink or meal or round of <laughs> golf again. Yeah,
0: I mean, listen, I, I tweeted about Foles that he to me he seems like the ultimate flatliner, and yeah. and that's a good thing in this business because, I mean, there's some guys you say he never get they never get too high or too low, and this guy is unbelievable. I mean, he never gets a little bit high or a little bit low. He's just like flatline and. I saw that when he was here in Philly four years ago. The same thing. He's just like, you know, he throws seven touchdowns. Looks just like he did when he throws five interceptions. Absolute same. Yeah. And that yeah. really and paid off, I think, for him and the Eagles yesterday.
1: Yeah, I think it's you know, it's funny. We always, I, I feel like when we talk about the issue of um, faith in athletes and religion in athletes, we you know that kind of gets poo-pooed. Mm-hmm. But I do think with Foles and a couple other guys on this team. Whatever their faith might be, it kind of gives them a the peace of mind yeah. that, look, this is kind of out of my hands, and I'm just going to do what I can do, and the Lord will take it from there. And it and I'm sure there are people who think that's silly, you know, or whatever. You can think whatever you want of it, but it seems to work, and it's I think it's a dimension that you know, I'm not sure it gets talked about enough because us cynical people in the media tend to roll our eyes at it. But right. I think it's a big it's a big factor with Nick Foles and I think it speaks to what you're you're talking about, about that ability to just maintain and be calm and be confident when you need to and not let anything get to you.
0: Yeah, and I think you and I were going back on social media this morning about and it's gonna come up over and over again mm-hmm. now because that's what people do. Will he be traded? And My initial response is absolutely not, because the only reason Mm -hmm. they won the Super Bowl was they had someone like him, and how is Howie going to possibly, possibly have a backup plan like that? Then you start thinking about it, and I know everyone says everyone's got a price. Could someone offer, Mm -hmm. say, a high second-round pick for Nick Foles? I suppose everyone has a price, but... Again, my reaction is, oh my god, no! Do not get rid of that guy. If you're the Eagles, he's not only your savior, pardon the pun, but he is someone that you just, you know, mo- you just mentioned Chase Daniel. Most backups are like Chase Daniel, and th- exactly. this guy is just a cut above. And no one has that. I mean, you can go down the list, maybe the Sam Bradford, Case Keenum situation, but there's nothing like this out there.
1: No, there isn't. And especially when, you know, Wentz, as great as he was this past season and as great as he might yet be, is still a relative question mark. I mean, you don't, you don't totally know what he's going to be like coming back off that ACL. You know, you presume that he's going to be healthy, but, you know, who knows? He may not be able to move and scramble and by time and shrug off pass rushers the way that he once did and he may take another hit. Mm-hmm. And do you want to, you know, go run the risk that whatever backup you sign to replace Foles once you've traded Foles is going to be as good as Foles was. I don't know that you want to do that. I mean but but the, the bigger question is does Howie Roseman think that way? Or does he think, you know what, if I can get a second round pick or if circumstances break the right way and I can somehow get a first round pick for Nick Foles, because Lord knows I got a first round pick for Sam Bradford and he wasn't the Super Bowl MVP, yeah. then, you know, would he trade him? And, you know, I think how his default position is, um, you know, can we make a deal somewhere?
0: Well, I think you're right. I think he's obviously uh, one of the more active, if not the most active, GM. I guess here's the situation on quarterbacks as I see it you don't have a lot of openings. I mean, you have, right. you have the Browns, you have the Jets, you have the Cardinals, and maybe I'm missing one, but you just can't come up with teams beyond that. You figure Minnesota's going to sign one of those guys. And so what do you have? You have maybe four teams. You have Kirk Cousins out there. You have Keenum or Bradford out there. You'll have others. And I think the biggest obstacle is, you have four or five first-round quarterbacks. So would a team really, you know, someone's going to sign Cousins, and, you know, is there really going to be a space, a team that really wants to go all in on Nick Foles, even if you wanted to do that, which, you know, I'm sitting here thinking out loud, even if I was Trader Howie, I just wouldn't do it, you know. And, And what holes does this team really have that you'd give up Foles for? I mean, obviously it would be a draft pick, but what are you going to use it for? And, and they ask you, where, where are the holes on this team? I'm asking kind
1: yeah. of rhetorically. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could make, yeah, make an argument that they could use another, unless, unless you're convinced Mac Hollins is going to be really good, and I, I suppose he's showed enough to think that maybe he could. Could you use another outside receiver? Is Torrey mm-hmm. Smith necessarily coming back? Um, you know, are you going to need help at linebacker? Is Nigel Bradham going to be back? And if so, you know, at, at what kind of deal and at what length? Um, you know, what do you do with Michael Kendricks? Um, you know, those those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and, I, you know, I, I think you make a great point about the availability of other quarterbacks and, and who else is out there and all that. And if I were the Eagles, I would not trade Nick Foles. I think he's... You know, it, it's the perfect situation. You know, if Wentz, if, if, if Wentz isn't necessarily ready for the start of next season, then you have a guy who you know can fill in and who the entire team will be confident in, and you can win games with until Wentz does come back. So, you know, if it ain't broke, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. It's funny, We, you know, last couple of points, I, I'm thinking back to what you were saying about Fargo and North Dakota and Carson Wentz. I kind of feel sorry for Carson Wentz. And it's not just the, oh, he got hurt and someone took his job and, and had this glory. I just think about legacy, you know? When yeah. it, when everyone looks back at Super Bowl 52 in 10 years, 15, 20 years, it was the Wentz Eagles quarterbacked by Nick Foles. I mean, it's just a weird feeling, isn't it?
1: It is. Think about this, Andrew. Nick Foles had... The- Statistically speaking, the best season any Eagles quarterback ever had in 2013. 27 Mm -hmm. touchdowns, two interceptions, 119 passer rating. team gets in the playoffs. He won the Super Bowl, and not only did he win the Super Bowl, he was the MVP of that Super Bowl. And there is literally no presumption at all, no thought at all, that he is the Eagles quarterback of the future. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's amazing when you put it in those terms, but – you know, and, and that gets back to what you were saying about Wentz. Like, this is, this is just an odd situation where, um, you know, do I feel bad for Wentz? I absolutely do. I, you know, I mean, gosh, to, to be standing there on that sideline saying to yourself, this could be me, yeah. you know, we were 11-2, and two, um, and now you're going to be the afterthought in one of the most exciting Super Bowls and most surprising Super Bowls ever played. Uh, you know, I think you put it well.
0: But it is his team, and and who knows if he'll be back week one, week three, week four. Right. We know that there's no way Doug Peterson is not going to put him out there. I mean that he's the, he's the franchise. Right. But yeah, you, he's you're a real right. There is that kind of uh, feeling of sadness, and it'll all play out over the years. I think, you know, the last thing about this Eagles team I want to ask you about is, I, I guess this sort of goes to the no holes. Our, I, and let me preface this: every team wins a Super Bowl and says "dynasty, dynasty." <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get into that to to that chorus, but gosh, they look good. I mean, they look like a solid team for the future. Uh, you know, my bias, I know Aaron Rodgers is coming back, so that that could be a cha- that's a real challenger always. But wow, they they seem to be set up as I as I've written and talked about about Howie. They seem to be setting up short-term and long-term, this team.
1: They they do. I, you know, the one caution I would say would be, you know, as winning goes, egos can grow, and yeah. egos can get in the way. Um, you know, they were scuttlebutt at the beginning of the season about, a, you know, maybe conflict between, you know, Doug and Jim Schwartz and whether Schwartz was kind of getting too big for his britches, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, that's always something you have to keep an eye on. I think it will be incumbent upon – Jeff Lurie and Doug and Howie to, to, to kind of make sure that doesn't, you know, get out of hand. Um, but in terms of the roster itself, I mean, they're in really good shape. You've got Alshon Jeffrey tied up. You've got Timmy Jernigan tied up. Fletcher Cox, you know, yeah. they, these are all manageable contracts, you know, and guys who are relatively young. And, uh, and you still have Sidney Jones coming in. Um, yeah. Lord knows you're going to need quarterbacks. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're in really good shape.
0: And what they've done, as we've talked about throughout the year, what they've done better than anyone in the league is, is immunize for injury. I mean, yep. it's just amazing, and it all comes back to the quarterback position. It's the, as 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 the top of the list. They have immunized for injury, and to me, that's, that's the name hard of the game. to do in this league. Yeah, yeah. it is.
1: It's hard to do in this league.
0: And reasonable contracts, as you said, I mean. Obviously, Fletcher Cox is top of market, and uh, but it just seems like they're getting away with decent contracts on a lot of guys.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, look. After fifty-seven years, you know things were bound to turn their way at some (laughs) point, right? You know, I mean, look. Give the Eagles this: their last two championships have come against Vince Lombardi and Bill Belichick. So, if nothing else, you can say they earn them.
0: You know, one thing, Mike is—I haven't asked you as—I've asked you all of these questions as media, but what about as a fan? You're from Philly.
1: I called my dad five minutes after the game ended, um, after I had filed my column on Alshon Jeffrey, and all I said was, "Can you believe this happened?" <laughs> and uh, he said, "No." They, he and my mom had had you know about a dozen friends over to watch the game, and uh, I said, "Okay, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I got I got to go work, but uh, I can't believe this happened. It was, it was pretty. It was a fun ride to be a part of." Um, And I've been around and doing this long enough now that I don't let my fan, you know, whatever fandom I might have had as a kid um, has been muted a little bit. But it was still really, really, you know, exciting to see this happen.
0: I feel great for all these fans. As you know, I married into uh, Philadelphia fandom. So I've been uh, checking on my father-in-law. He seems to be... uh, his, his heart, heart rate has come Good. down, I think, a little bit right now.
1: Yeah, you're enjoying this on multiple levels, I know.
0: I know. It's great to see. And great to have you, Mike. Just I wanted to get you on. I respect you so much and really sort of break down what just happened, which is we're all still scratching our head about this Eagles team. Really, that sort of phrase, team of destiny.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. I enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for coming on. It's such uh, sleep-deprived as you are. really appreciate it, Mike.
1: Anytime, man.
0: Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and
1: College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.